Will you stand for the reading of the Word? This past weekend on Sunday night, we baptized three people. It's had such a great time in the Lord. Oh, God has been so good. God has been so good to us. Praise God. Everybody feel good tonight, though? Praise God. Got a big smile on your face. Now, where Jesus is, anything can happen. Anything. And we must start believing that God's Word is true. Praise God. Matthew five thirteen. you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. We're going to stop there. Ye are the light of the world. And you may be seated. I've read such a positive message. I'm going to put a little bit of a negative title on it. Sometimes people remember that a little bit better. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, the glare of the light and the burning of the salt. Now, this is a little negative, as you can see, but I think it's something that you will remember. Now, the reason why I put that type of title or that title on this type of uh, passage, because uh, the truth of the matter is, the, the salt that he's talking about is the Christian. The light that he's talking about is the Christian. Uh, we are lights to the world, but our light comes from God. God is the source of all light. We are like the moon. We're not the, the greater light. The Bible says that he made the greater light for the day and the lesser light for the night. And nighttime is upon the human race because of the evil, the wickedness. And we are the lesser light. That means we really have no light of our own. We just reflect the light that is given to us. I happened to be up extremely late last night, and I noticed about 2 o'clock in the morning, while I was observing the sunlight, that I could see the shadows of... Uh, these high-density poles, light poles. It was probably as bright as I've seen in a long time. Very rarely will you see a shadow at night. But you could see it about 2 o'clock in the morning last... This morning, I guess it would be. But uh, I, was just, I was just amazed. I thought, Lord, if I could just be that bright, even though I don't really have any light of my own, it's just... A reflection of something greater and something bigger and something better than myself. And then concerning salt, Jesus said, If the salt has lost its savor, the truth of the matter is that salt never loses its strength, its preserving power. In the context in which he was stating this, no doubt, it had to do with the way salt was collected and used in ancient times. In ancient times, salt was not in its pure form like we know salt today. I visited a salt mine, Sister Grant and I, in Obersalzburg, Ober uh, Germany, one of the oldest salt mines of the world. They have been mining salt since 1200 uh, there, many, many years, they pump water down into the big mountains and create a big cavity. They, they pump the fresh water. They bring out the salt water. Then they dry the, the water leaves, and they have the salt. But if you're down in there and you look at some of the salt blocks they take out, the, the, the truth of the matter is there, there are many more other trace minerals and elements and such added to the salt than, than what you'll actually find 
salt. In other words, the percentage of salt is very little in, in any block of this that they would, they would take out. So their intent was to take out the pure salt, leave all the trace minerals and such in the, the, the ground, deposit in the mountain that they didn't need. When salt was used in ancient times, it was taken out in this form and then crushed. People actually seasoned their meat. They preserved meat and such. But because that the trace minerals and other elements would become spoiled or ruined, the effectiveness of the salt then was lost. The purer that you could get the salt, the greater preserving power that the salt had. And isn't, that, isn't it that way with us as Christians that the more impurities that are worked out of us, the more strength and power and ability to see people saved becomes. All you have to do if you want to witness, you're sincere about witnessing, just start praying and seeking God and fasting. And all of a sudden, just, you know, just out of the blue, somebody will just Ask your question. Just, uh, well, I walked in the bank today and I was talking to the banker. Of course, we're building this house and we need to make a draw and pay some bills. And I walked in the banker's office and right away, after I had congratulated him, I saw his picture in the paper where he was up for promotion and told him that I saw this and how thrilled I was that I was associated with him and Made me feel good, you know, just kind of a kindred spirit when you see somebody that you, you know, are doing business with. He said, oh, by the way, I don't know much about your church, but he said, there's a man that works in the office, and he pointed across to the other wing. that was just talking to me about church. He said he was tired of all these just plain old traditional dry services. And I said, well, I don't know much about Pastor Grant's church, but I'd like to talk to him about, about it and talk to him about you. And he wanted to know what we believed, what our services were like. You know, you just start just telling him that, you know, I, I said, well, as far as our doctrine are concerned, we believe that we are very traditional. That is, we hold fast to the apostles' doctrine. Now, that might not sound very traditional to you if you... I actually look into, looked into all of our doctrines, and we claim to be very fundamental and very conservative. Now, I'm sure that if you looked at us, you might think that we are somewhat radical, you know, and so forth and so on. Talked about the growth of our church, both here stateside and, and worldwide. He got all excited about it. He said, I'm going to tell this man. That sounds just, that sounds like what he's looking for. Isn't that something that, oh, there is a stir in this world. There is definitely a stir in this world. Now, I've told you all that to lead to this one thought concerning my scripture. Sometimes God takes things out of our hand. And while He does work through us, for the most part, when things are taken out of our hands, He just takes action Himself. And when He takes action Himself, you will find that things are somewhat different. This is the reason why I spoke of the glare of the light. The moon very rarely will glare. The sun can be very glary. So sometimes God just takes drastic measures to bring about a, po a positive result. Sometimes He doesn't even take the drastic measures. He just allows drastic measures to be taken against us to bring about some positive result. Now this, 
This story that I'm about to tell you, I do not blame this on God. I think God allowed this. But you see, we it is difficult for us to comprehend the ways of God. And the reason why, because we, you know, we have a little bit of insight when we look back at history. We have very little knowledge of what's going on around us and certainly have no ability at all looking to the future. I mean, you can't determine what's going to happen tomorrow. The apostles never did. On some rare occasion, someone would prophesy and uh, the person that the prophecy was concerned, they had a little bit of an idea of what was going to happen. They kind of braced themselves for it. But for the most part, man just kind of walks in tomorrow blindly. Now, that doesn't bother a Christian because he knows that God is his security. You know, if God doesn't take care of me, I just simply won't be taken care of. If God doesn't love me, I guess I just won't be loved. If God is not concerned, then what good does it help me to be concerned? So we have to cast all of our cares upon him. I was sitting on the platform in a little East Texas church that I started in 1965, it was. In walks a husband and wife, and never seen them before. They sat on the back of the very back seat of the church. When I preached that morning, I talked about circumstances and how that Circumstances can mesh together like gears in a gearbox. And they can bring about a tremendous pressure and power and, of course, results. Progress. And I related some stories in the Bible and then talked about some stories that I'd been acquainted with. And when I finished the lady started weeping. She came down to the front. Her husband followed her. They both gave their life to the Lord that morning. They were both filled with the Holy Ghost. When I began to talk with them, the man said, Well, we had a very unfortunate thing to happen. Now remember, God cares about your soul. So my wife and I started praying. We just felt that there was a greater depth in God than what we would ever have. Now, my wife's father pastors one of the larger churches in Dallas, Texas. And my wife was the ladies' auxiliary leader. We prayed and we sought the Lord. We asked God to somehow help us. We wanted more truth. We just felt we didn't have all the truth. We remember praying some what we'd call intercessory prayers. Well, we kind of let things go and slip back into our normal routine of life and this hunger would come back. We fasted and prayed. and The man said, probably what happen would not have happened. God would have had another way if we would have been consistent. But uh, her father being the pastor, it's, it's, you know, it's difficult to go against your, your own dad and just wanted more truth and more truth and more truth. And Oh, we visit around a little bit, but we just go back and just business as usual in our church. Talked to my dad, the lady said, and told him, and he said, well, don't worry about it, you know. This church believes in the doctrine of eternal security, and once you're saved, you're always saved, and it doesn't make any difference how spiritual you are or are not with God, that the grace of God, you know, is sufficient. She didn't buy that. She didn't feel that's the way it ought to be. They prayed and they sought God. Well, she asked God not to let her slip from that hunger. See, the Bible says, and Jesus made this statement just before he brought 
about this similitude of the Christian believers. He said, They that hungereth and thirsteth after righteousness shall be filled. Now she said, I considered what happened to me to be so cruel. But she said, after praying at the altar today and receiving the Holy Ghost, she said, I believe I see the light a little bit better. In a somewhat cold condition, after slipping back into this, she was walking the streets one night. A man came out of the darkness, sexually molested this lady. This lady then called the police, and of course, all of a sudden the story was in the paper, and her story was checked. She was checked to the hospital, and then, of course, there was, her story was checked, and got to be quite a thing. And her dad came to her and said, Hon, I've always loved you, but this thing has gotten to be too much, and it's kind of public knowledge, and I don't think you ought to be ladies' auxiliary leader anymore. That's a, kind of a bad way to do it, you know. You'd think your dad would take up for her, but he thought it wasn't the best. So she gave up her, her position, quit her job. She had a good job. Her husband quit his job in Dallas. Didn't know what to do. He heard of a pipeline that was going across East Texas from one part of the oil field in East Texas all the way down to Port Arthur, Texas. So they came down, and he was working this pipeline. And they bought a kind of a motor home, and they just lived in that. She was crushed. She started seeking God. Didn't really know what God had for her, and her husband started seeking God. This pipeline came within one mile of our church. Would you believe that this man who was working seven days a week, no time off. You know, those men just work that way. That a chain slipped and a pipe fell on his leg and broke his leg. Here he was, out of work now. Didn't know what he was going to do. So, in their motor home, they began to pray and seek God. He said, well... I certainly couldn't go to church working seven days a week. Let's just go to church someplace. Got in the motor home, drove down the highway. Here's our little church, little country church. Pulls in. Said, how does this look? Well, it's all right. You know, we just want to go to church. Pulls in, comes inside. We're singing magnifying the Lord, and I preached this, what I consider an all-important message, because it was just the message this couple needed to hear, because they felt that all the circumstances, even though some did not seem favorable, some were so confusing, some were so difficult, some were just really odd, yet they all seemed to mesh together in the overall turning of the gearbox that brought about a positive end result. Here they are now. One hour after they came into church, after they were shrugging their shoulders, do we stop here or not? Might as well. Feeling unconcerned, feeling like there was no God in heaven that even cared or even loved them. One hour later, with hands lifted at an altar, they're speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Praise God. It seems like God had to pour the salt directly into an open wound, create a lot of burning and a lot of bitterness, a lot of hurt, in order to bring about the results that this lady by the name of Darlene needed. I don't know what they're doing now. They were with us for some time before they moved to another part of the country, but they were doing well. God had 
began to move upon them. They were growing spiritually. Trust that that hunger that they had for God has not left them. You see, sometimes drastic measures are necessary in order to bring about a positive result. Some of us don't get the message too too clearly. Some, some of us, we're slow learners. And we pray, God, help us. God, change us. But we're strong-willed. Some of us are very stubborn. We're strong-willed. We have strong constitutions. It takes a while for us. I use that word in, in relationship to Sister Grant Sunday morning. Chris, don't look at her and laugh when I say that, okay? Chris just looked at Sister Grant and just smiled real big. Sister Grant had that gleam in her eye like, yeah, he had to say that. <clears throat> I'll tell you, you ladies just stick together. I mean, I have never, even when you know you're wrong, you stick together. <clears throat> I told Sister Grant that. She said, well, we're not wrong. Well, <clears throat> Let's talk first about the glare of the light. This is so very, very important. I remember this past summer, we're trying to make some hay, and of course I have a limited number of hours that I can work on a project like this. And We had a little place back behind Roy's house, a guy on the land said, why don't you cut this alfalfa off of this? So we thought it was a good idea. So we get out there and bale it up, and it rains 30 days and 30 nights on it. <laughs> I mean, it did rain a long time. It just, we raked it and we'd more than rake it and it rained again. We'd rake it and it rained again. Well, <clears throat> Roy said, Dad, we're going to have to get that hay up. So we got out there and, of course, my tractor is, is just kind of a part of a tractor. It's got parts missing. It doesn't have any lights on it, for one thing. So <clears throat> I'm going to bail this hay. So I get on the tractor, and Roy gets on his radar. Now, he's going to be the light for me. The thing about it is that, that with the tractor running and the baler going, just making so much noise, you know, the baler comes around, boom, 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 boom. It's got all those forks picking up that hay. Boom, 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 boom. The tractor, you know, it's just, I mean, it's loud. You can't hear a thing. So I was... Motioning for him, and of course it doesn't have power steering, and it's just like a, I mean, it's like a dog fight. You're pulling dogs apart, you know. It's just, I mean, it's difficult to drive, and and the ground's rough, and the front end's loose, and the thing, and when it hits a bump, the whole thing goes like this. And at any rate, Roy gets this idea. He'll go way down at the back of the field and shine back toward me. Now the reason why he did that's because he can see, you know. The thing about it is I couldn't see. <clears throat> so that's what he does. He gets way down there and shines back. I'm motioning, come back here, come back here, come back here. He's just sitting down there just kind of looking out the window. I thought, well, I don't have to drive. The light was so glary. There was plenty of light on the subject, I can tell you. I couldn't see a thing. I mean, I couldn't see a thing. I couldn't even see how to drive the tractor. I mean, there was just there was just no way. This car lights on bright, just out there, just shining right in my face. Now, it blinded me so, and what I found out because he wasn't paying any attention to me that what I'd have to do is just move over to the side and get get and, and position myself with the light so that I could. Take advantage of the light so I could see. And then, of course, after a long, long time of wrestling around with this, I finally told him, I said, Roy, what did you, you'd be better off if you'd just kind of get beside of me and shine out like, like I was in the driver's seat. Uh, I can't see what's happening down here, but I can see what ha what's happening out there. And he did that, and we ended up bailing the hay. At least we got it up off the man's field. wasn't much good, but we got it up so the new hay could come start growing. But isn't it that way with God? Sometimes we, we get adverse to God. 
we get in a wrong position. And uh, that's, that's the way Paul was with God. When the, there was a light, the Bible says, as bright as the noonday sun that, that smote him with blindness. I remember a man one time had a telescope and he wanted me to look in the telescope. He's looking at the sun. And he had a sunscreen on it. So I, I just went over there and I just looked down. He just set it up. And, and I, I looked at the sun. You could see the flames coming up. They were having some kind of a storm. I say they. I don't know who they are, but there was a, <laughs> there was a, a storm, they said, <laughs> on, the, on the sun. I didn't know there was such a thing, but in, at any rate, you could see the flames going out, you know, just miles and miles and miles. He had it all. But then he told me this. And now, you did something very dangerous. And I said, what? He said, don't ever look in a telescope at the sun until you find out if it has a sunscreen on it. If you had to look through this telescope, if I just set it up and you'd have walked up and said, let me look in it, and you looked at the sun through this telescope without a sunscreen on, it would have blinded you permanently. Permanently. Now, I don't know how you feel about it, but the Bible says that Paul was struck blind. Now, God was serious with this man. Now, this man obviously loved God, but he didn't love God by the correct set of rules. Now, a lot of people say they love God. But if you love God the way you need to love God, you'll have no fear in following the right rules. You know that? There won't be any fear. I just went over that today with someone. I spent a good bit of time in my office this afternoon. We went over some things said, look, I don't care how much you want to do what is right. The Bible is right, and you should never be afraid. Never be afraid of doing things according to Scripture. But I'm just concerned about, but wait just a minute. You can't beat the Jesus method. If Jesus said this, there is no better way to see it accomplished. No better way. Well, see, Paul obviously loved God by his own rules. And no doubt, he was like this one lady. He was questing for something deeper in God. He knew there was a void there. He knew there was an emptiness, emptiness there. He knew things were not quite right. Now, when you pray like that and you're sincere and you are a slow learner or a strong-willed individual, let me inform you that it would be better for you to become totally pliable to God. Because if you're praying that way and you're sincere, but yet you still are clinging to yourself. I preached several messages about being free from self, dead to self, being totally free. Well, here's a man that's doing it and he's very sincere about it. But on the other hand, he is so bound in tradition. This man is just wrapped up in Phariseeism or legalism. Just totally wrapped up in it. Well, there's only one way that God's going to get His attention. He's going to slap him with blindness. The Bible says the light was brighter than a noonday sun and smote this man right in the eyes with blindness. Now, I must believe that the Apostle Paul would have probably died a blind man had not he have submitted to God. Now, here's something that we have to understand. See, Paul says, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. See, in our baby boomer generation, you know, we're, we're told... Of course, I'm not in the baby boomer generation. 
Uh, our present president is the first president that, that we've ever had that's younger than myself. I'm beginning to feel a little bit old, you know. But we're told that you, oh, don't preach any hellfire and brimstone to this generation because they won't listen. I mean, don't talk, don't talk about this. Well, you see, there are certain things, though, that, I mean, the Bible is put together the way it is for a reason. It may not be popular, but there is a reason, see. Uh, and, and everything has to be taken into consideration and in its proper context. See, the Bible says, If any man lacketh wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth liberally. Now, so if you want wisdom, what do you do? You ask of God, and God will do what? Give it to you liberally, providing now you meet all the other requirements of the Bible relative to wisdom. You follow what I'm saying? See, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, if you have the proper respect and reverence for God, you set the stage for abundant wisdom. So when you pray, the stage is set for God to answer that prayer. You follow what I'm saying? Now, I said all that to say, here's a man that's praying. The stage was not set for his prayers to be answered. And God's going to have to take this man, and I mean set the stage for him. Now, it would have been a lot easier had Paul just have said, Lord, let me just do whatever you want me to do. I'll just say whatever you want me to say. Oh, he had some preconceived ideas. You know, and this is what happens to us sometimes in the spirit world. See, we like to think of ourselves like a train, a locomotive on a track. And when we pray, when we, when we, when we consider progress, it's always on this one track. And we say, Lord, I'll go wherever your spirit leads me. But all we can see is, there's the track, Lord, and I'm aiming the right direction, so you take me to the given point that you want me to go. But you see, it really isn't that way in the spirit world. Because when you say, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go, and you look out there, the track's been ripped up. And you're no longer a locomotive on this track. But you find you're going to hoof it on your own two feet over some mighty rough terrain. Sometimes, see, the path to spirituality doesn't go down that carefully laid track. And that's what Paul was praying. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. See the track of tradition? I've been pointed down this. I'll go right down this road. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Sometimes God requires a man to go and walk the paths that he's never walked before. Like Joshua who instructed all of Israel when they crossed Jordan. He said, we have never come this way before. And sometimes our promised land takes us into territory where we've never been before. We walk where we cannot see clearly. But God had to blind this man then cause a healing. Now the Apostle Paul then always kind of lined himself up with God so he could see clearly where he was going. Because when the light shined directly in his face and his eyes, it was more than what he could take. He simply could not take it. The glare of the light the Apostle Paul become one of the greatest apostles that I've ever known. As far as Scripture is concerned. There may have been men that, that were equal as great, but their record is not known in the Scripture. 
But here is a man that just seems to be unparalleled, unequaled. You know, <clears throat> this man taught us so much about God. He was so close to God, so much insight. And it seemed to come about as a result of him just positioning himself so he could see. But even with the great knowledge and wisdom that he had, he put it like this, we still see through a glass darkly. In other words, he never got to the point that he felt like he knew it all. I don't know if you've ever been struck with blindness before. I remember several times it's happened to me. When I say blindness, I'm not talking about a physical blindness, but it's like God just had to, I mean, do something drastic. I remember one time I was working on the roof of a house. Now, I'm going to tell you some things, and some of you might say, Oh, Brother Grant, I don't know about that. I, had a, I kind of had a bitter feeling to come over me. I'd been working for a friend of mine with a church problem. He'd asked me to come over and preach, and I did, and I met with his church board, and things were not quite right. And <clears throat> so these brethren gave me a little bit of a hard time, and I guess I just kind of formed the opinion that all deacons were demons, you know. <clears throat> kind of sounds like, you know. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, there are certain things, association. It's amazing to me how words go together, you know. <clears throat> Talking about Roy's Raider. You know, Jesus Jesus went out fishing. They fished all night and they caught out what? Nothing. Night and nothing seems to go together. And then when morning came, Jesus said, Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and they caught much. Night and nothing go so well together, but morning and much. You notice how they seem to fit? They just seem to fit, don't they? And I believe that morning is dawning upon some of you. I believe the day star from on high is going to shine upon some of your lives. And all you need to do is just align yourself, fix yourself with God so that you do not receive the bitter end of chastisement. But here I was. I looked, I looked at the church board and I thought, deacons must be demons the way they act. I've since found out differently. We've got some of the greatest men of God in this assembly who serve as deacons of any people I've ever been associated with in my life. But I had this, I mean, I was, I was praying. I was on top of the roof. I was putting on shingles, and I was praying. But I had this bad feeling. I got to thinking about all the things I could have told them, but didn't, you know, after the fact. And I was cutting off shingles on the side of the house. And so help me. Right while I was, I was in my mind thinking what I could have told them, how I could really have helped them out, you know. I pulled that knife along underneath the shingle and I caught the edge of the drip cap that came over. And I have a huge scar here. It slipped my hand. I mean, all the way out to my fingertip. And blood started pouring. I thought I was going to bleed to death. Well, <clears throat> now, when things like that happen, you seem to, at least in this case, I knew right away what God was doing. I mean, these men could have been totally, I mean, 100%, 110% wrong. But my feelings were not justified. If you forgive men not their trespasses, neither shall your heavenly Father. Now, when you see blood, I mean, just squirting and pouring. And it's really coming out. And you're holding your wrist to stop it. It seems like all of your life kind of flashes before you all of a sudden. And before I even knew what was happening, I was saying, God, I won't think this way of these men anymore. Oh, God. I pray. I'm serious with you. Now, Lord... This wasn't right. God seemed to smite me with blindness, so to speak. But I'll tell you one thing. 
All of a sudden, like the Apostle Paul, he saw his need for God. And he surrendered. And he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And that was what I was praying. Lord, whatever it takes, O God, I, I want to be right, God, with you. I thought I was bleeding to death, and I certainly didn't want to bleed to death with an unforgiving spirit. You ever had anything like that to happen to you? See, I'm taking a little bit different view of James 5, 14. Now, tonight might kind of be a little bit of a hodgepodge thing. But uh, there's just some principles, some things that I want to say because I feel that, that it is important. James 5, 14, is any sick among you. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. All right. The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, I'm, t I'm, I'm trying to be constructive in, in my view of this Scripture. I know what we have long practiced. I have shared this with several ministers, all of which uh, uh, these men have agreed. See, James 5, 14, the anointing of oil, is the one place in the New Testament that says if you're sick, anoint with oil. Normally, though, by, by example, by practice, you will find that, you know, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. No mention of oil. I'm, I'm feeling that what we need to do is maybe take the oil that we have and lock it up. Now, hold it just a minute. Don't lose your religion. And, and that we should make this a special time. In other words, if you are sick, just sick, well, we just simply pray for you, lay hands on you and pray for you. But the reason why I'm feeling this way, you notice what it says, and if they have committed sins, they may be forgiven. In other words, situations or individuals who have a chronic something that they can't get rid of and they don't know why, but they've just been prayed for and prayed for, and prayed for, and prayed for, and they can't. It is then time for the elders to take the oil, anoint them, and the purpose is, as far as I can see, is so that they can help you decipher what your spiritual problem is. Now, it might be that you have not done anything that's wrong. The Scripture does not say, and God shall raise him up and shall forgive his sins, and if he hath committed sin. In other words, if the sickness has come upon you as a result of some weakness of your flesh, they are able to pray and determine with you. But you see, because you're sick and you need to be healed, what you do when you come to be prayed for with the anointing of oil, what you're saying to the elders is, I don't care what my problem is. You help me figure it out. I prayed for several people with oil. I prayed for two ladies in, since I've been preaching that that presumably had heart attacks. At least they, it appeared that way. I prayed for a lady who had fallen in the parking lot of our church. And uh, I went out, and when I knelt down by her, and I took the oil and lay hands on her, there was a nurse by her, her side. Her heart rate it was so irregular. Her respiratory count was just, it was bad. And when I lay hands on her, the Lord told me, this lady was greatly offended at a sister in the church, and she's faking this. Can you fake it where a nurse, an RN, doesn't know the difference? Well, I prayed for her and prayed for her, and uh, they uh, finally got her up, and she didn't want to go to the doctor, and they put some water on her face, and 
she lived across the street from the church and she went over there and of course some sisters went over there and was tied up with her for hours and hours just kept coming back to me now I very rarely do anything like this but when I know that it was God there's times when you just know I mean you just know So I went in and talked with her. I said, I need to talk with you, sister, about what happened in the parking lot the other night. I said, now, I really don't know how to start this, <clears throat> so you may have to help me out. She said, oh, you mean about my heart attack? I said, no, not your heart attack. I'm talking about your falling. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, you plan this this way. She said, oh, my God, she said. And, I mean, the fear of the Lord came upon her. I said, there wasn't anything wrong with you. And I said, it, it's so unfair to fervent, praying, compassionate saints for you to pull something like this when there's really nothing wrong with you but just your feet. You got hurt. This lady began to weep and cry and repent. Oh God, she said. Lord, forgive me. I mean, she really poured her heart out to God and repented. I remember praying for a lady right here in this church that had been sick for two or three weeks, and when I anointed her with oil, the Lord just showed me what she had done, and I stopped. Now, nobody knew about this. And I just kind of leaned over, and I said, let me tell you something you've done. This is why you're sick. And I told her, I mean, she started weeping and crying. She says, oh, Brother Grant, I felt like you knew. She asked God to forgive her. The Lord healed her, and she's back to work the next day. Now, <clears throat> I draw that conclusion because it goes on to say, confess your faults one to another, and pray for one for another that you may be healed. In other words, all in the same setting, just a conjunction of and, a continuation Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Several years later, I prayed for a lady who was helping out a rummage sale and she got in a little fight with a sister and uh, didn't go too well. And All of a sudden, she, she had this blackout and they put her on the sofa and they were going to call wasn't 911 then. That's before 911. Everybody went out of the room and I said, hold it just a minute now before they call. I know what's wrong with you. She got an immediate healing. She opened her eyes and said, what? I said, uh, and I wasn't there when the conflict occurred. I said, God just told me that you had a conflict with this sister and you're very hurt over this and this is your way of getting attention. I mean, she began to shake. She says, oh, don't say anything, Brother Grant. I said, wait, no, we won't cover this up. You've got too many people involved now. You need to confess your fault. She said, what if I don't? I said, you might actually have a heart attack. She said, well, you better get them in here then. Do you know what? This is real life we're living don't be playing a game with God. I said, this is real life we're living. Don't be playing a game with God. Because the glare of the light, as much as it can, the light can direct you, as much as the light can lead you, as much as the light can illuminate your path, as much as the light can give you revelation, my friend, it can also blind you. It's happened to others. 
It can happen to you. I remember, I don't know why I'm telling all this. This came to me. I remember praying with a man one time that was an, he had uh, epilepsy. At least he said he did. He was taking medication from it, for it. And there was an, an RN that lived next door to him. And it got where every time we baptized a man, I don't think he was filled with the Holy Ghost, but every time we tried, I started to go out of town. It just, it's like, the devil, always, he'd always have a seizure. And one night I was going way down in Louisiana to preach a youth route, and I was running late. I'd worked all day long. I was tired. And they ran over and says, Oh, you got to come, brother. Hmm, he's having a seizure. And, oh, I'll tell you what, I, I just made tracks over there. And I, oh, God, I'm going to be late. And I'm, I'm the speaker for this rally. And, and, and the Lord, you're going to have to heal this man right away. And, of course, they were holding him down. And let me tell you, when people are like this, I mean, you know, nobody, his wife and this RN and somebody else are trying to hold him down. And, I mean, he was just wrestling. And they put a little wooden uh, thing in his mouth. I forget the name of it. Hold your tongue down and chewed that thing up. And you know, just foaming at the mouth. Well... <clears throat> All of a sudden, they said, what are we going to do? And his wife ran in the other room, and, and she called the nurse, will this work? And she ran in there, and then the other person ran in there. And, and I'm telling you, if I've ever had God to talk to me, God says, there's nothing wrong with this man. This man was wanting to get on welfare or aid, social, social security. And he had applied for this, but I didn't know this. I'm telling you, the Lord just told me. And while I was in the other room, I just grabbed him and shook him. I said, listen here. I said, I know exactly what you're trying to do. I said, I want you to stop this business. And you're not to have another seizure. You hear me? Now, I'm going to preach this rally. And all of a sudden, I mean, he just, I knew. And if I was wrong and he was having a seizure, he wouldn't know about this because he was just blind. And when they came back in the other room where he was, they said, what has happened? He was resting. I said, well, I said, when he left out, I had a talk with him. And this one, this one lady, his wife, says, oh, Brother Grant, you always have the right things to say. This is life. The light can guide you, but the light can blind you. The glare of the light. <clears throat> Salt just never loses its taste, but with all the impurities that was mixed with, it can lose its effectiveness. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing about salt. Take pure salt and dump it in this water. You go back and you look and you don't see it. You can taste this side of the glass, this side. Put your tongue in the middle and the salt's there. You go out and pour it on the sidewalk. The water leaves. You go out there's the salt. It's back there just like it was. Reminds me of what Amos said about the Lord. Talk about people running from God. He said you run from a lion and you meet a bear. And then all of a sudden you look and there's a Y in the trail. Now I'm adding a little bit to this. Use them on them. And you say, well, I'll go down this path. And you run and all of a sudden you see this nice little cottage. You run in and slam the door. You say, oh, I'm safe now from the lion. I'm safe from the bear. And you lean up against the wall and there's a viper hanging on the wall and it bites you. It's talking about people that try to escape from God. See? Let me tell you something. When God gets on your trail, sometimes that salt can be very, very irritating. Once to see the doctor. See, the salt was used in ancient times, too, to put on a wound. It did not have antibacterial salves and things like this. You use salt. Have you ever got salt in a cut? Oh, land sakes alive. 
It'll make you dance out of the Spirit. Once see the doctor had a sore throat, and so I said, "What kind of uh, uh, what what should I do to to you know to stop this sore throat?" I thought maybe Listerine or something like that. And the doctor says, "Oh, just salt water." I said, "Salt water? What what about you know?" I named off several. Tastes real good. She said, "Well, you know, like Listerine, some of these. Oh, they may be good, but they're mostly for you. They're not for germs." When she said that, I, I thought about our horses. Not because I had a horse throat. But, oh, that was bad, wasn't it? Let's back up. Back the tape up, Don, okay? <clears throat> we had a horse that developed some allergies, had the heaves. The doctor says, perfect health, except that all of a sudden he just started heaving. <laughs> and you could just hear him breathe like that. Now, when certain people rode him, he heaved more <clears throat> than others. <clears throat> but he had the heaves. So the doctor came out, and we had this this animal in a stall, and the stall was just clean and Spick and Spence, immaculate. And been raining outside and mud. You know how it gets in the spring of the year, just mud. You know how it is. Didn't we have a good spring day today? Wasn't this great? I don't know. Did the groundhog see its shadow? I figured he did. I hope he sees his shadow every day he comes out. I can take a lot of this. But the doctor said... I want you to take this horse out and put him out there in the, in that paddock. Well, we just, my wife and I just looked at each other. He said, barns are made for people, not for horses. He said, now, if you want to do this experiment, he said, what you do, just put your little paddock off of this stall right here. Cut an outside door in the wall and see how often he comes in here. He'll come in here to eat if you put food in here. You'll find out it'll be sleeting and snowing and storming. He'll be standing out there in it. He said, very rarely do they ever get sick when they're outside. He said, now, barns are good for people because it makes you sleep better at night and you're not feeling sorry for the horse. Put him out there. It's the best thing you can do. And you know what? We did. And guess what happened to the horse? I mean, he just got so much better. You could just ride that horse and his endurance, his stamina. He just, I mean, it was like a like a miracle. Well, when we moved our horses down to the farm, we said, we're not building stalls inside. We just build little shelters out so they can get underneath them. Two years now our horses have been outside, and I have not detected one runny nose or runny eye or anything from those animals. said, so the barns are for the people. If the horse has a choice, he will just stay out there in that. So the doctor said, oh, Listerine and all that, that's, that's good for you because it makes you feel good. Smells strong. Smells, you know, like it's medicated. But if you want something that's good for the throat, just put some salt in the water. And go, oh, that burns. Yeah, it does. But it's good for it. And you know what? I tried it. It really does work. It's one of those home remedies. That, I mean, that really does work. And you know, sometimes the best thing can happen to you is, is for, for the salt to burn occasionally. You don't, want, you don't want a service. Or you don't want service after service after service after service after service to occur. And you walk away just feeling that, boy, this just lifted me up and I feel like I'm on cloud nine. 
You want some services to hurt. You want some movings of God to burn. You want, you know, it's like the surgeon that, he may put you to sleep when he operates on, but you're going to be, oh my, you're going to be in bad shape for days to come. But ultimately, that little setback is going to give you years added to your life because that cancer or whatever was wrong with you is removed. It's going to bring about health. Sometimes the light blinds and the salt burns. But I will assure you, if it's God's idea, it'll be good for you. See, Christianity is the only religion in the world that teaches from every bad thing can come something good. Now, I don't want to discourage people from being prayed for. I'm just saying that every time you come up to pray, you should not expect someone to anoint you, but if you call for them to anoint you, and that's a choice that you make, make sure when you do, you say, Elders, help me determine if there's something that I have said, I have done, if there's something that I have been that I should not have, help me determine it. Praise God. You know, even in the Bible, when I see seemingly the judgments of God resting upon people, you, you, you can also see the love of God. The expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden is one of the saddest stories in the Old Testament. You, you talk about some people that really had it made. Think about it. Living in a garden, a paradise. They were to dress the garden and keep the garden. It was not a monumental job as far as I can see because the earth had not been cursed. There were no thorns and thistles and all that kind of stuff. And there were no people around to loot the garden. You know, throughout all, I said loot it, throughout uh, all the rubbish and stuff. So they were just... They just had a pretty good job. Probably the best job that you'd ever want to have. But they sinned. When they sinned, God expelled them from the garden. That was like throwing salt in their wounds. Flaming sword blinded them to keep them away from the garden. Can't go back in there. But there's a little scripture that sheds so much light on God's concern for these sinful creatures now. Go out of the garden. Experience the curse of the world. Why? Lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. You may say, isn't that what we're all after? No. Not the way it would have occurred there. That after the body had been declared as Satan's battlefield, God did not want them to eat of the tree and with this unchanged, corrupt body live forever in this sinful state. Praise God. God ultimately is concerned about your spiritual welfare. The light may blind and the salt may burn, but let's be open to God and to God's voice. Let us stand. Oh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't God good to us? So isn't God good to us? Oh, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Let's lift our hands and worship Him. I love you, Jesus. Do you have total confidence and total trust in God?
that God knows what's best for you. He's concerned about you. Oh, God, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. Oh, praise your name, Lord. Praise your name, Lord. Praise your name. Jesus, God, you're so good. I love you. Let's sing I love him too much to fail him now. Praise God. I love Him too much to fail.